It's lovely to be with you. Uh, words to me this morning as I was coming to church, which is words you sweet, son. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what she meant. Uh, but uh, Cara this week went in for, apparently, uh, as we get older, we need to have surgery every now and then. And she went in for this very, very minor little scrape on her shoulder. Uh, it's actually like calcium buildup on a ligament. And they said, oh, it'll be, you know, a day or two. Uh, and you should be right as rain. And as she was there, the surgeon just kept digging and went deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's lucky her whole body it wasn't operated on, but he found about six things wrong with her shoulder. And uh, so uh, she gets picked up in Gold Coast Hospital by me. And uh, I'm just hoping we're not in lockdown or something. <laughs> Karen might be living on the Gold Coast for a few weeks. But uh, it's great to have you here, and for those dads and men in our lives, some of them have already, you know, like, I know for me, my dad passed away 10 plus years ago. Uh, he's still a very, very special part of my life. My grandparents obviously passed away a long time ago too. They are still special and we're celebrating too. The word um, that I wanted to use in the sermon today, it's not necessarily just aimed at dads, but it, it does reflect a word that my dad taught me, and it's the word authentic. He would have never used the word authentic, he would have used the word fair income. And uh, growing up, my dad instilled in me, it's not what you say, it's what you do. For him, he wasn't a big talker. Words for him were pretty meaningless, actions mattered. And so today, I actually want to focus in on what my dad taught me growing up, and that's Son, when you grow up in everything you do, be real about it. Be authentic. Uh, be fair dinkum. So today, I've entitled my sermon, Authentic Christianity, uh, or Fair Dinkum Christianity. Before we begin, let's pray. Uh, just ask God to bless our words today. Lord, uh, we thank you that we can be here worshipping you today, this morning. Uh, we think of our dads, and the, and the men in our lives have actually... Uh, played significant roles. It's not always the case that not all men are good. But Lord, we're so glad that we have someone like you uh, as a good, good father so that we can actually see what the true model is about. I pray you be with us this morning. Amen. You know, you reflect back on different events and different stories in your lives and during this week, I don't think John and Jean will mind, but we got to anoint John this week. And uh, it was just one of the most, uh, I want to say it was a special night, wasn't it, John and Jean? Uh, the highlight for me was uh, your neighbour and his name, his name I forget. What, what's your neighbour's name, John? Darren. And Darren lives next door and he's got four motorbikes and, and a camper trailer uh, I may have broken one of the Ten Commandments, covering over. Uh, just a beautiful camper, camper van. But Darren was invited to come along, and he is not a, I would suggest, a strong follower of God. He is someone, but he is real, and he is fair dinkum. And he prayed one of the most amazing prayers. He wasn't exactly sure who he was praying to, but he just followed the example of everyone else and spoke to this thing called God. 
And it was the most, uh, I don't know how you felt, John, but it, it was the most special thing about the whole evening. And uh, John, as a community, we, we are definitely here to support you and Jean uh, in your battle. And uh, what a wonderful anointing service it was. I got to work with people just like Darren when I finished school. And they were the most odd bunch of people uh, that you could come across. I worked in a printing press uh, at the time. Uh, I needed to wait. I finished, graduated. I needed to work for an extra 12 months before actually uh, getting picked up as a pastor. And while I was working, I was working, I actually worked in their printing press. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was okay at my job. It was a repetitious thing, so I figured out how the machine worked. And uh, so when I finished, they offered me a job. And I got to work with this really random group of people. Uh, we had straight people, we had gay people, we had Christian people, we had non-Christian people, we had married people, we had divorced people, we had people that had been seriously injured on the workplace and others that tried to learn from his mistake. Uh, we had an, all types of people, young, old, we had, we had uh, people who struggled with alcohol and drugs. But you know the one thing that I loved about that community? There was about 25 or 30 of us at work there. Um, we had the most wonderful family in that, in that printing press. Our boss believed in the mantra that we're only as strong as our weakest member. So when anyone hurt or was in trouble within that group, the entire group, the work colleagues, got around them. I'd, I'd never experienced that in the workplace before. And we had two incredible leaders uh, one guy's name was Mark and the other guy's name was Des and they led our printing press and on one occasion we had one of the ladies who drove the forklift who struggled with mental illness and from time to time she would hit highs and then the poor thing would just hit incredible lows. And she had a 16 year old daughter who was going to our school down near, at Avondale and she was not a wealthy lady. She didn't have big piggy bank. And when things went wrong, because of her condition, she would have used up all of her sick pay. She would have used up all of her leave. And she'd be in hospital sometimes for four to six weeks. And on one occasion, I kept standing around the forklift that she operated and started to have a conversation. I was running my machine. I looked over and I thought, what are they up to? Um, and I knew exactly the type of men that those men were. They were authentic Australians who made the word look after your mate real. Today, I want to actually look at that idea of Christianity. Christianity is not just words, but actions, the real deal. We're going to look at two stories today. One is found in the Old Testament, and there are three characters. You don't hear these names used by parents for their kids. It's found in Daniel 3. So if you have your phone or your Bible, welcome to open it. It'll be on the screen as well. But Daniel chapter 3, and we're just going to read from verse 16 to 28. And I just want to give you the context for the story. There are three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, and there's songs that go with it, if you've ever been to the kids', kids group. Uh, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there was a fourth person in this merry band called Daniel. 
But in this story, we don't know why, but Daniel is not evident in this story. But he's evident in a story just prior to the story we're going to read. Because the king Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man of Babylon. In fact, he was the most powerful man in the entire world at the time. And he saw himself as the most powerful man. His greatest weakness is that he was arrogant. Is that he wanted to see himself as not just the top dog, but even more than the top dog. He had a dream, a vision, and and it worried him and and he couldn't figure out the dream and it was about this big statue. Uh, And and he just couldn't work it out. He was going to kill all of his wise men uh, for the fact that they couldn't interpret the dream. And and the wise men said, no king has ever asked such a hard thing. And Daniel hears about it. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego hear about it. And they pray, and God reveals this dream to Daniel. And it's a dream about this statue, and the head was made of gold. And Daniel turns to Nebuchadnezzar and says, that is your kingdom. The Babylonian Empire will be that head of gold. And then it continued down throughout the body, had different elements and different kingdoms that would look after it. Was was, uh, Nebuchadnezzar happy with the idea he was only the head of gold? No. He wasn't. So he decided to build a 30-metre statue made of gold. He was, in many ways, he was actually blaspheming God. He was saying, hey, God, you revealed this to me, but I've got bigger plans than God. And he built this huge statue. Shack and Abednego were there on the huge plain with all the, all the people from the Babylonian Empire And when the music stopped, everyone was to bow towards the statue and basically proclaim the words, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire will always be the golden empire forever and ever. Well, this is where we pick up the story. In Daniel chapter 3 and verses 16, 16, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego reply to Nebuchadnezzar because they would not bow down. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you set up. In verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated up seven times hotter than usual. I did a little bit of research to try and work out how hot one of these furnaces would actually be. Now, we've just got a new oven in our house and there's been the odd occasion I may have burnt things because convection ovens work different than the normal ovens. And uh, it's incredible how those convection stovetops work too. Because the old one, I could turn it up to seven or eight to heat up my pasta sauce. Uh, with a convection one, you don't get above about two. At five, I just decorated our kitchen with lovely sauces. I was trying to work out what to do. These ovens, these furnaces, they could actually heat up to 3,000 degrees Celsius. So about 10 times the heat that you would actually produce in your oven. And there's not too many of us that cook things at 300 degrees, to be honest. But 
These could be heated up. Now, how would they do it? You've got to remember that Babylon is in modern Iraq. Plenty of oil. Uh, it's plenty of petrol. And they used whatever means that was available to them to actually heat things up. These furnaces could get so hot that the rocks that they would actually build around the furnaces, if it got too hot, could actually melt the rocks. This was one serious place that you didn't want to be thrown into. Well, he was so upset, as we just read, he ordered that the furnace be heated up seven times hotter than usual. Verse 20. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and they threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. Verse 22. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But verse 24 is really significant. Verse 24 is super significant. But, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed and the fourth looks like the God. Now, this is one of the few occasions in Scripture that we actually have an encounter where people look and observe and they say, is that God? This is an extremely significant part of this story. And it can't just be left to just ponder we need to actually ponder the fact that as these men were thrown in, were they left on their own? They weren't. Whether it was an angel or perhaps even Jesus himself, their incredible faith was being exhibited. These guys were the real deal. They were fair income followers of God. And in that fair dinkumness, they were willing to go to the uttermost. They were willing to actually have their lives taken because their God is the only God that they worshipped. Wow, this is incredible. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, the officials, the governors, the advisors crowded around them and heads were singed and their clothing was scorched, they didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's commands and were willing to die rather than to serve or worship any other god except their own god. Shadrach, Meshach, authentic followers of God. Not even their lives were as valuable to them as their worship of their God. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were willing to follow God to whatever extent 
that may be. They told the king that God was more powerful and he was more powerful enough to even save them from the fire. God was more powerful than Nebuchadnezzar. God was more powerful than the Babylonian Empire. They also said that that even if God did not save them from the fire, they still would not disobey God. There are so many lessons to learn, for each one of us to learn from Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego stayed true to their identity as followers of God. True to their culture and true to themselves. For these young men, this was not the first time that they stood up and demonstrated authentic worship or authentic relationship with God because we know these young men were actually taken from their homes as slaves. The Babylonians and the Assyrians had come at two different times to Israel and had completely wiped out their kingdom. On one of the occasions, the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar came besieged the city and they took all of the young men back to Babylon. They were trained in the ways of the Babylonians. And it, and it was at that occasion that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego and Daniel look at the food that they're being offered and they say, we cannot eat this stuff. And the servant who was looking after them said, you must. If you upset the king, this is the finest food. This food has even been sacrificed before our gods. And they said, we can't. This food is unclean. And it has been sacrificed before these gods. It is completely wrong for us to eat of it. And they make a deal. And Jews are pretty good at this. Jews love making deals. I can say that because my grandma's Jewish. And boy, oh boy, did she make some deals with me growing up. (laughs) When you meet her in heaven, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, But they made a deal it's a Jewish thing to do and and they they made this deal and they said hey for 10 days let us just eat vegetables and and after the 10 days let us just have water and after the 10 days check us out do a test to see if we're fitter to see if we're stronger to see if we're more intelligent and the servant went as long as you don't tell anyone I'll do this test and after the 10 days the Bible tells us that these young men Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego and Daniel were like 10 times healthier, 10 times smarter than any of the other men. These guys were consistent in their walk with God. So when they decided to not bow down, this was not the first time, they were consistent in their relationship with their God. I hope my sons grow up to be like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. I hope that they have been able to see some example of that authentic Christianity through my life. As a dad, one of the hardest things to do is to go to your kids and say to them, you know what, I've actually, I'm wrong and I'm sorry. I've learnt to do that with my kids. They sometimes will call me out more often than they need to, but but there are occasions they're right And it is important as dads for us to actually lead that example. To actually be able to say to our kids, the lasting legacy that I want for you is for you to have an authentic relationship with God. 
I want you to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, in the New Testament, we come to our second story. And the, the person that I have Bible speaks of, and that is Jesus Christ. I thought about some of his disciples. I thought about Paul. I thought about some of the more insignificant stories in the New Testament, but it just keeps coming back. If you want an authentic example of Christianity, well, let's go to the source, and that's Jesus. The, the passage that I'd like to look at is found in John 9. So if you've got your phones, open them up, or your Bibles. John 9, chap, uh, chapter 9, obviously, verses 1 to 12. And it's a story about a blind man. Now, again, it is so important when we read our Bibles to check the context. Because if we go back to John 8, we actually find that Jesus has upset the religious leaders, which he did a bit, and they wanted to kill him. And they were chasing after him. And you would think that if someone was chasing you to kill you, uh, that the last thing you'd want to be doing is to stop and to spend time with people who really don't matter. Well, that's what society was teaching at the time. Let's read about this person who didn't matter, who Jesus went, uh-uh, this is exactly why I have come. The Bible that I'm reading from is the New Living Translation. John chapter 9 and verses 1 to 12. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who'd been blind from birth. Verse 2. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Jesus must have thought, you fools. Verse 3. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered, this happened. Now, this is really significant to the story because for some of us, when we read this answer that Jesus has, you should question it because I know that I question it. It's like, what? But have a look at what Jesus says. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. So this bad thing of a man being born blind and having to experience the fact that his community would have actually thrown him out onto the street because no parent wanted to have him around. You had to feed someone that couldn't defend for themselves. Like, this was not good. And people in the community had that view. Well, maybe the mum and dad, it's because of their past sins that this guy's born blind. Like, who wants to have that? Who wants to hear that all the time? Well, well here we have it. And Jesus goes, uh, it's for none of the reasons you think, but... This happened so the power of God could be seen through him. Let's see what that power is. Verse 4. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming at, and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Verse 6. Then he spat, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the bl blind man's eyes. Verse 7, he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbours and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was. And others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked him, who healed you? What happened? And he told them in verse 11. 
The man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I want, went and washed and now I can see. Where is he, they asked. I don't know, he replied. I don't know. This is one of the most powerful stories. It's one of those stories that I love to read because spit is not something we like to talk about. Um, it's like a horrible thing. It's a bad habit. And yet here, the power of Jesus spit mixed with dust created the most powerful medicinal mud this world will ever, ever see. Jesus grabs that mud that he is, that he's made his own little mud pie and he covers the man's eyes and then asks him to go and wash. And the most powerful part of this story is the fact that our God is powerful. Remember the reason that Jesus gave for this man's blindness? Was so that God's power could be revealed through him, so that he could become a blessing to the community around him. This is an incredible testimony time because for the rest of his life, when people questioned who he was, and they were, they're saying, it looks like the guy that used to be the beggar, but surely not. He's like, hey, I am who I am. My story will never change because every time someone came and said, how did you meet Jesus? How did you first start your relationship with Christianity? He can say, let me tell you a story about the time Jesus spat on the ground and made mud, covered my eyes with the mud, sent me to Siloam, I washed my eyes and I once was blind but now I can see. Is there any better testimony? In our authentic walk with God, we too need to encounter, if it needs to be, the Spirit of God. We need to make sure that we're actually in the presence of God. We need to make sure we're close enough so that God can actually do the change in our lives. Jesus notices even the least among us. That's the first lesson that I learned from this story. In our world, we're always trying to make ourselves perhaps look a little better, feel a little bit better, but the reality is here, that's not what Jesus looks for. Because it is often at our lowest and our weakest point that we are most available to actually reach out and be close enough over our lives to transform us. Jesus took the time to notice this blind man. Like I said in the context, he was running away from these religious guys that wanted to have him killed. And yet, in this story, Jesus, the person that he stops for, is the person that most people viewed as the beggar. He was the one where most people took no notice of him in his life. And yet, in this story, Jesus puts him at the centerpiece of the story. God sees us. The second thing that I learned from this story is our weakness should lead us to God. Shake his fist in the face of God and question his goodness and love. However, for what most people see as a curse had turned into the biggest blessing 
in this man's life. If he hadn't been blind, he wouldn't have encountered the Messiah. When I passed it down on the Gold Coast, I got a phone call uh, from this Scottish gentleman. And his name's John. And in my church down on the Gold Coast when I was there, I had like nine Johns. It was like, it must have been the name that every parent gave their kids from about, it must have been about 1950 onwards. John was the name. And uh, I had nine Johns in my congregation of 150 people. Uh, and John rang me and he was a Scottish fellow and he says, and I, he's from Edinburgh and I can't give you his accent, but it was, sometimes I didn't even know if he was speaking English. And he said, I, I think I interpreted, I want to catch up with you. And I thought, yeah, that, that sounds good. So I went to visit him. At his peak, uh, he was one of the wealthiest men in Queensland. And uh, during the global financial crisis, which some of us are old enough to remember, back around 2000. And, and uh, he basically was the point of bankruptcy and he was preparing for all these things. His brand new Jaguar was being taken away. He had furniture. I, I don't know, like seriously, obviously I've lived under a rock for a long time. You know, if I buy a piece of furniture and it's like $3,000 for a whole set, I think that's too much. Um, but for him, I, I, look, I can't even tell you, but all I know is when he re upholstered his, his, um, his dining table and things. It was like $20,000 material. I was like, Johnny, are you crazy? He said, well, look at me now, I'm broke. Uh, but you know what? John's testimony is very similar to this blind man. On the outward appearance, he had it all. He had his penthouse down on the Gold Coast, he had a $4 million home up at Mullaney. He drove the best cars. You know, he, he had 50 T-shirts, like really nice shirts that he'd never worn, but he just thought it was nice to buy them. At the, I was like, dude, what a waste. Um, especially for a Scotsman. Like, what Scotsman wastes money like that? He did. And he said, you know what? God had to take all that away for me to see. And I want to tell you that that sometimes can be the story for you and me. There are things in our life that need to be taken away for us to become like the blind man so that we can truly be impacted by the most important, the blessings, and the blessings of God. Well, that day at Sanitarium, when I saw all the gentlemen standing around the forklift, I thought to myself, what are those blokes up to? <laughs> they were always scheming. Tell you what, they could cheat on the table tennis table too, let me tell you. But anyway, it's another story. But they were standing next to the forklift and then they came. There's only like 20 or 25 of us in the hole that worked there. And they all just scattered to the four different areas, which to be honest, in our printing area, there was only about four areas. And one came to me and one went into the printing area and one went to the cutter and folder and, and one into the specialised printing. And, and they wandered around and they came up to me and they said, you know, and I won't use the lady's name, but our lady who's on the forklift, she's just had a really bad turn. And uh, she's going to be, um, she's going to be in hospital, in a mental hospital uh, for the next six weeks. She's got a 16-year-old daughter who was in year 11 at school, at a private school. Um, she doesn't, as I said to you before, there, there is no annual leave left. There's no sick pay left. But this was an authentic work environment. 
Like I said to you, there were Christian, non-Christian, there were gay, there were straight, there was all types of people in our working environment. There's no judgment. And uh, the guy came to me and he said, you know, uh, she's, she's real sick. Uh, and, you know, we all felt, because we'd seen her, you know, she's our forklift lady, we all needed her in a factory. And, um, and I said, what are we going to do? And they said, well, we're going to do what we always do. You know, some people hold the hat out. Well, this was still back in the day where you actually needed cash. Uh, whereas now we would just do a GoFundMe and away we'd go. But uh, they said, we need some cash. And I said, right, what do we need? And each person just dug into their pocket. No one was asked to give a certain amount. But we needed to cover her rent for six weeks. We needed to pay the school fees. We needed to pay her bills. We needed to put food for this young 16-year-old girl. She was pretty strong. Like, she was at home looking after herself. But we needed to make sure that she was looked after for during that period of time. Was it the first time that in this work environment people had done this? No, it was their habit. Because they were authentic. They were fair income. They were true you would want to know and work with. And it was like, so during the day, people don't want to be noticed. In Australia, we don't want to walk around going, oh, I gave this or I gave that. That's one of the things I'll never do on GoFundMe is I'll never put my name next to it. Because I don't need people to know if I'm generous or not. I don't need to know that at all. This is between me and God. And, and so people are just rocking there. <laughs> sounds like a drug deal. We'd all walk in there with our little, uh, our little envelope of cash. Uh, and we'd drop it into Mark, and Mark would then just... He, he was a super trustworthy guy. And uh, Mark would then go and pay all the bills. He, he just went and looked after. He was like a pseudo-dad for this young girl for the six or eight weeks while the mum was in hospital. Now, after about two days, Mark had to ask everyone to stop giving. Because authentic Christianity, authentic living, can't just be restricted. Once we actually connect in with what is authentic, whether it is in your God walk or just in the way we're generous, it changes the way we do life. Changes our priorities. And within about two days, Mark walked around and he said to all of us, hey guys, uh, we're going to have to hold back. Um, We're well and truly covered about three months' rent (laughs) and the school fees were paid for this term and the next term and uh, we've paid all of her bills uh, and there's a little bit of money there if we can give to her when she gets out of hospital to help her get over her, her little hump. That was two days. These guys, if you met them, they were just everyday Aussies. Like I said, some Christians, some non-Christians, some gay, some straight, some wealthy, some poor. They were just authentic. It makes me wonder the type of Christian. It challenges you for you to look at yourself and go, what sort of Christian? does God want me to be? Today, I would encourage you to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When all the odds are against you, stand true for what you believe in. I'd encourage you to follow the greatest example in the New Testament, that's Jesus. And if you haven't been impacted by Jesus, the encouragement that I give to you is try and stand close enough for healing in your life. Don't walk too far away, stand close be close. The other thing about our Jesus is that he doesn't look at our disabilities as a disability. 
he sees it as an opportunity for blessing. And that is something that is radical in Christianity. Let me pray. Dear God, I want to thank you that we could be here today. We miss all our young adults. So many are away today at the youth rally. I pray that they're being blessed by Pastor Greg as he preaches to them this morning. Lord, I want to thank you for each person here, whether it's their first time at Refresh or, or uh, they're a regular. We, we just want to say thank you that they, they were able to be here today. And I pray that as we leave here today, we'll be changed. Uh, changed not just having to follow the A, Bs and Cs and Ds of Christianity, but we actually get close enough to allow your spiritual spit to touch us so that we can be so that we can become that blessing for you. Uh, Lord, give us a good day, and we all pray in your name. Amen.